0: are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, we're talking about life for several weeks here as we move through Easter. Um, you know, I remember a conversation that I had with a mom, and she was telling me about her son. She said, I remember when he started dating this girl, and uh, we could not believe that this could be the person that God wanted for our son to marry. In fact, we would sit down and have conversations with him. How could this be? Help us understand that this could be God's will for your future. She said, I remember him striking out at us one day, saying, Mama, people can change. She talked about a time a few years later when the wheels had literally fallen off of his life. And she said, I remember sitting down and just trying to have a mother-son conversation. And I said, you, you thought you could change her. What, what happened? And she said, he looked at me and he said, uh, Mama, I didn't change her. She changed me. I think for people like you and me, I think the question we constantly have to ask ourselves, to what degree i having an impact on my world, on culture, and, and to what degree is my world, is culture having an impact on me? Let me, let me show you a quote, okay? I read it a couple of weeks ago, and I just kind of hung on to it. I am the art in your houses, the ideas in your institutions, the laws in your land, the message in your movies, the thoughts of your teachers, the values your kids value. I affect you. Do you affect me? And it's signed, who else? But culture. It's this conversation that Jesus had about the world around his disciples when he talked to them about this idea that "I, I know that you're like you're in the world, but you're not you're not of the world. So you're you're immersed in culture, but you're not of culture. And for Jesus Life was always about living counterculturally. I know you see the world going this way, but there is another way to go. There's an alternative an alternative way to live. There is being a part of this community of the kingdom of God, and the values in the community of the kingdom of God are often very different than the values that are in the kingdoms of this world in culture. So so let me ask you a very pointed question, okay? Morality and Christianity. Are they one and the same? They're not. A person can be moral and yet not be Christian the only way you arrive at Christianity is because of what Jesus does in you through you and for you it is, this, it is this being born anew it's being born from above it's being born of the spirit it is being born again it is what Jesus does in you and through you however you cannot be Christian and not be moral You can be moral and not be Christian, but you cannot be Christian and not be moral. And so here's what I want to talk to you about today. I think this is the essence of where Paul is trying to guide the people who make up that little group of new believers in a community called Colossae. And it's simply this, that we as the people of God are called to an ethical life, okay? A life of moral principles. We, the people of God, are called to a moral life that reflects the ethics, the moral principles of Jesus. I think that's what Paul is trying to say with these words. So, if you will grab a Bible and open it with me, and let's talk about these next few verses. Chapter 3, the book of Colossians. We're up to verse 12 already. Okay, so here we go. Paul writes to this group of relatively new believers. They're beginning to struggle. Some are tempted to turn away. And so when he gets to chapter 3 and chapter 4, he talks about this resurrected life. You have been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You have access to a life with Jesus. You have access to the power of the kingdom of God. And so when you get up in the morning... You don't get up to simply try to live this life out in your own strength and power. You say, okay, Jesus, I am with you today. We are going to live this life together, okay? This is who I am. I am a child of the living God. I have been raised to life with you. We are going to walk this walk together. And so, with those words, he gets to chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Do you remember last week? If you can remember who you are... Your identity should reflect your behavior. And so once again, he reminds them, this is who you are. You are chosen of God. You were once lost, you were in darkness, but God chose you. And he has made you holy, and you are dearly loved by him. This is who you are. Don't forget who you are. Then we go back to that metaphor of clothing. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility. gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have any grievance against someone in fact here's how he says it forgive as the Lord forgave you wow I remember how the Lord forgave me don't you and over all these virtues put on love Which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this is God's word for us today. Agree? Amen. So, Annette and I, we kind of had this deal where that uh, she loves to go look at houses, you know. uh, Just loves to go looking at houses. We love to look in your houses. You know, we just like to look in houses. <laughs> no, in all sincerity, if we are driving down the road and there's like an open house, we, we, like, we like to, we'll just stop the car on our way somewhere and, oh, open house, let's go in and see their house. And, uh, and so let's just suppose that you are, you're, you're with a realtor and, and you're looking to move. You're going to relocate and you're trying to decide where, what community, what neighborhood do we want to be in. And you find some houses that you kind of like. And you say to the realtor, as you're looking at this one house, do you know anything about the community? Do you know anything about the neighborhood? Do you know anything about this area? And the realtor says, yeah, I do. It's kind of an interesting neighborhood. A lot of people really choose this. they, They want to live here for these reasons. It's a neighborhood where there's kind of a lot of sexual immorality. A lot of impurity. People are kind of drawn to that these days, you know. There's a lot of lust. People dress in a way to encourage that. There's a lot of desire when it comes to sexuality and greed in this community. Uh, the other thing is, they, you know, you can get away with uh, anger and malice and rage and those kinds of things. There's a lot of lying that goes on in this community. But you'd be surprised. People are moving into this community like crazy. Some people are really drawn to this. You go look at a second house and you ask the realtor, so we really like this house. What, what is this community like? And she says, well, it's totally opposite of the last community for sure. This, this community is filled with, uh, I, w- I would describe these people as very compassionate. They're very kind A lot of humility in this community. A lot of, a lot of gentleness. These are very patient people with one another. They bear with each other. I think they're kind of quick to forgive. I would describe this as a very, a very loving community. And so I know you like this house and I know you like the other house. And I guess what you've got to decide is which community do you want to be a part of? And here's, here's the deal. While you and I are convinced, we don't have any doubt that the best possible community is a community where the ethics of Jesus are adopted and lived out. While we have no doubt that that is the best possible community. And even though we have been raised with Christ and our lives have been hidden with Christ in God and we have access to a life with Jesus and we have access to the power of the kingdom of God, there is an enemy who still knows our number. And He calls us often. And sometimes He tempts us to visit the other community. Why don't you just go back to the old neighborhood and say hi. It's been a while. Just see how things are going. Just check it out. Um, Paul writes this little band of relatively new believers, and he speaks with metaphors. Um, I kind of talked to you about it the other day. do you remember i I had this coat this very coat right here, and I put it on and uh, Even this morning, when I read the scripture, I've heard the words, clothe yourselves. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm clothing myself with something, with a coat. Last week, we said this represents the old self. This represents that old community I was a part of, maybe that old way of life. Uh, He talks about that old life that you used to live. And he uses an interesting word when he says practices, with all of its practices and you might say, Rick, I, I like that metaphor, practice, as I understand, because when I was a sinful person, I practiced sin. In fact, I practiced sin so much, I got really good at sin. And, and so that was what I used to be. That, that was, that's my old self. But what does he say to do with the old self? Do you remember? He says that we, we have put off the old self, actually. And I think it's probably pretty accurate. He didn't say, take it off. He said, you have stripped yourself. You have taken it off. And I've got a feeling that many of you weren't aware when you did it. It wasn't like a conscious decision. But when you were born again, you changed from the inside. And immediately when you were confronted with the old way, you said, not interested. No, I'm not going there. That's not who I am. And it came very natural just to say, no. I mean Jesus has forgiven me and I have been changed and I'm not And we get to the to-do part and the to-do part is that he says you should now put on your new self. And we use the white to represent the new put on your new self. And and he gives you this, this is what the new self looks like. Clothe yourselves, he says. Not only practices, but virtues, really, is what you're reading in this list. Compassion. Kindness. Humble. Gentle. Patience. Bear with one another. Forgive. Love. Love. That's what you look like in Christ. That's what you clothe yourselves with in Christ. Now, here's here's the question of the day, maybe. If Paul is writing to people in the church in Colossae who have put on the new self, who have been raised with Christ Jesus, whose lives have been hidden with Christ in God, who have access to life with Jesus and the power of the kingdom of God... Just just answer me one question. Why is Paul having to say to them, you should have compassion and kindness and you should be humble and gentle and patient and bear with each other and you should forgive and you should love? Why would he have to say all of those things to them? And why do we need to hear all those things today as followers of Jesus? And here's why. Because we are flawed And we are broken. And we are fallen in nature. And although Jesus is transforming us, and God is helping us to become more like Christ, we are still in the flesh. And as long as we are in the flesh, we are subject, we are capable of sin. Don't misunderstand me. That does not mean that I am just going to live a sinful life because I'm still in the flesh. Sin has power over me. It has dominion over me. I mean, I am a slave to sin. That is the opposite of what I'm saying. We are no longer slaves to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. It's not like we don't have the power to choose not to sin. The Holy Spirit is who helps us to not sin. But we are always subject to sin. And here's the reality. People hurt other people, even in church world. Do you ever wish life wasn't messy? Well, what happened? Well, it gets messy. Don't you wish relationships did not get messy? It's a little exercise together, okay? You ready? Everybody want to participate? Everybody going to play? Okay. I just want you to think with me for a moment. I'm going to go to this place of, in your life, where you have been hurt. So we're going to do a couple of categories. So the first category is, can you think of an instance, occasion, a person where you would say, in my family, immediate, extended, but there has been an occasion where a family member has said or done something that was hurtful to me. Okay, just kind of go to that place. Ready? Here we go. You got something, something in your mind. Some of you said I didn't have to think at all. Pastor, face popped right up here. A memory. It still stings. Still hurts. Someone said, "In my family, did something to hurt me." Let's go to another category. How about a classmate or a coworker? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where a classmate or coworker co-worker said, did something that really hurt you? How could they do that? Why would they say that? How about a friend? Pastor, I thought this was a friend. I trusted this friend. I mean, most of us are just not struggling to get there, are we? All right, do a little bit of a reversal here. Can you remember a time in your life when you might have said or done something to hurt a family member? How about a classmate or a coworker? How about a friend? This is the basis for reconciliation in the heart of Paul. I want you to forgive in all the messiness of relationships. And the fact is that sometimes we do hurt one another. And we should not hurt one another. And that should never become a way of life. But it happens sometimes. And when it happens, here's what you must do. You must forgive. And the reason you must forgive is because Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Now, I'm not insensitive in the conversation. As a pastor, I've heard stories that keep me up at night about how people have hurt other people. And some of you carry great scars, and it has been a journey that God has been giving you the grace and helping you to learn to forgive. So I'm not insensitive at all. I'm just simply saying that the basis for our forgiveness to others is because we have been forgiven. I have been forgiven thousands of times. Much more than I will ever have to forgive. And love becomes this virtue that unifies and makes all the other virtues possible. If I didn't love, could I really be compassionate? If I didn't have love, could I really express kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bear with people and forgive and all of those kinds of things? Love is that unifying virtue that just bundles it all up and makes it all a possibility. And the hope that we have is that as we engage in these virtues living out practices that they become a means of grace as well that god uses to actually transform us to help us become more like jesus now i just want to wave one red flag okay just just imagine i got this red flag and i'm just waving it for all i got in me right here okay one red flag here's the danger so, if I can just keep away from the bad list, and if I can just always do the good list, then me and God were good, right? That kind of thinking just reminds you that I'm not good enough to do either. And when I fail, I feel like I'm miserable, and God is miserable. What we are in need of is transformation. His sanctifying power at work in our hearts and our lives. So, as people of God, we are called to an ethical life that reflects the life of Jesus. And the reason I think it's important for us to talk about that today is because we are always gonna be challenged by the enemy who has our number and will always continue to call us even though we know that the best possible community is a community that adopts and lives out the ethics of Jesus. And so what do we do? After we have taken off the old, we put on these new virtues, praying for God's transformative work in our lives. Now, let, let me talk to you about one other, one other thing, okay? I, I'm not for sure, but I think, I think it was Calvin Coolidge. It was one of the presidents of the United States who went to church without Mrs. Coolidge one Sunday. And when he came home, she said to him, so what did the preacher preach about? What was the sermon about? And he said the sermon today was about adultery. And she looked at her husband and said, well, was he for it or against it? (laughs) And the reason I laughed like you did is because I think the answer is obvious. I think the world, even, is pretty convinced and knows very well what the church is against. I think even people who aren't part of the church I think they know what the church is against. You're familiar with Westboro Baptist Church? A church just west of Topeka, Kansas. They're in the news all the time. They demonstrate, they picket, they protest. And if you do any reading about the Westboro Baptist Church and what people say about them, here's what people say about them. They say, They are against and use hate speech when it comes to the LBGT community, when it comes to Catholics, when it comes to Jews and Muslims, American soldiers and politicians. That's what they're against. And so the way they feel they can best live that out is by protesting. And so when a soldier is killed in the Middle East and they bring his body home and they have a funeral, people from Westboro Baptist show up with signs that say very awful things about that soldier whose life is gone. And the family walks out of the church or the funeral home seeing all of these people making these very demeaning statements about their deceased son or daughter. And so I said, well, if that's what the world is saying about them, if that's what the world knows about them, what what do they know about themselves? And so I just went on their website, and on their website you find things like, um, thank God for 9-11, God hates America, God hates fags. Do you know what I know about the Westboro Baptist Church? I know what they're against. Do you know what I don't know about the Westboro Baptist Church? I don't know what they're for. If you take off the earthly nature, okay, if you take off the earthly nature, I'll give you the list again. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, lying, filthy talk coming from your lips. If you take that off and that's all you do, The only thing the world knows about us is what we are against. I mean, I can just tell you we are against sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy talk coming from people's lips and lying. But it's not until that we put on the new self. that people begin to realize, oh, this is what they're for. These people are compassionate. These people are kind. And, and, And these people are humble people. And they are people who are patient and gentle. They love, and they forgive, and they bear with one another. I mean, wow. And do you know what I've never heard anybody ever say about the Westboro Baptist Church? They are compassionate, and they are kind, and they are gentle, and they are humble, and they are patient, and they forgive, and they are full of love. And that's the great danger that we face as a church. To take one off without putting the other on. I think it's good that people see how we handle sexuality. I think that's important. The world is watching how the church handles sexuality. I think it's important how the world views us in regard to truthfulness coming out of our mouths. But I think it's also important that the world sees us as people who are compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another and forgive and love. Amen. So when we come to the Lord's table as a community of believers I think we come with lots of with lots of images in our mind with lots of truth in our hearts we realize that that we come we come as a community so this is man I grew up in this incredible family and there were six of us at the dinner table and you didn't get to miss dinner you had to have good reasons to miss dinner because Dinner was where we celebrated our family time together, and you just you just had to be at dinner. And the six of us sat around the table together, and that's where we were a family. And, and I think that that is part of what's happening here this morning. We come as a family. We are all members of this community, this family of God, and we come and we celebrate together. I think we also celebrate the fact that it's just not a community coming together, But but the presence of Jesus is with us. I mean, think about this. Jesus is here in this moment, and we celebrate his presence. But I think it's also in our understanding as Wesleyans that this is a means of grace. And so when I drink from the cup and I eat the bread, I'm receiving the grace of Jesus into my life in that very moment. Grace. Grace to let my behavior reflect my identity. Grace to live this life with Jesus. Amen. So why don't you stand with me? And those of you who are going to service, would you come at this time to do so? We practice open communion. You don't have to be a a member of our church. You don't have to have gone through a membership class. We would say to you this morning, it is important that you are sincerely seeking Jesus' grace and mercy today. And that really is the requirement of participating in the Lord's Supper. And so when you are served, if you will take the elements... And if you will hold them until everyone is served, we will all eat and drink together. You'll find there's two cups, and in the bottom cup there's the bread. And you can just put that into your hand. And then just put the cups back together. And when we're given further instruction together, we will celebrate Jesus' love for us. So after Jesus had broken the bread, he gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And then he took the cup and he said, My blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, drink it and be thankful. So as you leave this place today let me give you good words okay live the life that you've been called to with Jesus He is in you you are in him and live this life in the power Of the kingdom of God which you have access to. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org